everybody. Welcome to this episode of What's Next. I am your host, Tiffany Bova, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Scott Edinger to the show. He's a consultant for leading business growth, trusted by clients in the Fortune 50 and across the globe. He has worked with CEOs and senior leaders to develop pragmatic strategies and execute approaches to drive top and bottom line results. He's written three books. His latest, The Growth Leader, is out now and is a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, so congratulations. And he creates positive change for clients and is recognized as an expert in the intersection of leadership, strategy, and sales. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you, Tiffany. Great to be here. Great to talk with you. I'm thrilled for a lot of reasons. I feel like we are kindred spirits, so I'm excited to get into it. But yeah. before we do, um, we're going to start off with bullish and bearish. Right. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Robot triathlete. Robot triathlete. Uh, very uh, bearish. <laughs> very bearish. I see no purpose for it. None whatsoever at all. It's almost, you know, being from Hawaii, right? The Iron Man is the de facto, right? Right. It would, it would have to be how long could they last? You know, it'd sort of be like Formula One cars. Like who could make it better, perform better, faster? Sure recover faster, I guess. Yeah, I just I just don't see the, the point. First of all, they could do like six triathlons in a row. It's just not fair. Yeah. Um, if yes. it's a robot, I mean, then, then, then it's about who could build the best machine, not exactly. who has the fitness, right? Yeah. Exactly. All, all right. right. Next I'm recovering one. triathlete, as you know, so yes. don't do it anymore. But I, I can't even believe you did it in the first place. Like, admirable, <laughs> admirable. All right, next. Hotels in space, bullish or bearish? I'm gonna have to say bullish, just because okay. I have to believe it'll happen at some point. I is there's a time horizon on this? Nope. In the bullishness, yeah, I'll say bullish. Okay. Sure. All Absolutely. Right. It feels All right. like that we're we'll eventually have to be in that direction. All right. All right. The next one, AI salespeople, and I put people in air quotes. I'm bearish on it. Um, I am too. I'm bearish on it. I just feel like there are some jobs that require that human interaction. I've heard some of the, your, your take on AI as well, so no surprise that we're, we're both bearish on this. So let me jump right in. Like I said, kindred spirits, the growth leader, yeah. I talk about all things about growth, like, and I love other people's opinions and understanding and nuances around this topic. I tend to focus on top line because I think bottom line gets into conversations that, ah, you know, I like sure. to get, stay in the fight, but I want to understand um, at the top of this, there's a big debate around sort of strategy and execution. So yeah. when a growth leader is saying, okay, what do I do? A or B or C or D, whatever. They're at that decision point. I have to find ways to grow the business. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about differences between strategy and execution? Where do you think those decisions lie when you're just talking about, right, the growth leader? Because I think everyone at the executive team plays some some part there. Yeah. Well, I, I often think that strategy and execution, while they are, of course, very different things, get treated too differently, that they're divorced from one another, that strategy exists in one place in an organization and execution exists in another place. And I have a take on this informed by Roger Martin, who you know from Thinkers 50, which is that it's rare that you'll see a great strategy that fails in execution. That's part of the strategy. It's, it's like you don't have a, a great uh, election 
uh, campaign that ends up in a failed execution with the candidate, you know, that the, the candidate loses, right? So I, I think that these two things are treated too separately. And my take in the growth leader is that sales, which is often treated as just execution, is actually strategy in action. That sales is where strategy is executed, where it comes to life in the field with customers every day, not at company headquarters. So that's where the action is. I don't disagree. I mean, well said, and I'm a huge fan of Roger. He's He endorsed my last book. He's just one of yeah. my favorite humans. And on this journey uh, that we're all on, like he is always my one of my go-tos when I get into this conversation. And when we right. start talking about it, right, it's this, this age-old debate. Mm -hmm. Which one comes first? Who does it? Is it separate? Is it two different functions? You know, and, and I think that that will continue to be debated. I don't know if there's a, I mean, he believes there's a right answer. Mm -hmm. I think there's differing opinions, but, but I don't disagree with you that sales sometimes is only viewed as execution and like the vice president of sales or the senior vice president of sales. I wonder if that shift starts to happen when someone goes, nope, it's a chief growth officer or yeah. a chief revenue officer gets it out of that four-letter word, otherwise known as sales. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that is pragmatically how it does start to happen in organizations. It gets beyond sales, right? Because there is, uh, and I've written a little bit about this, this sales stigma, right? This around sales, this series of perceptions that limit our thinking about what is possible in sales and what actually great sales behavior and effectiveness looks like. But when you get strategy and execution out of sales and you start to say, hey, it's about growth or it's about revenue or even customer, how, however it is organized, then it starts to become a more strategic function, which is, of course, the essence of sales. It is strategy in action. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know why sales has such a bad rap. <laughs> right? but I've been in and around it for a really long time. Uh, and and I, I always feel like it is really that afterthought. It's like, we're going to launch these great products. I don't know how we're going to sell it. Or, you know, our brand will carry us through. We could just cycle through salespeople if we need to. Right. Uh, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just throw more marketing at it. Or we'll cut our costs to growth. Whatever the answer is, yet the rigor, at least in my opinion, and I'd love yours, is yeah. I feel like the rigor that goes into the rest of the business is much more thoughtful than mm -hmm. the rigor that goes into selling. Yeah. This, I believe, is part of the stigma that influences so many decisions and actions and choices that CEOs and the C-suite makes about sales that are, frankly, uniquely counterproductive. And certainly, if you consider that uh, sales must be more than the walking, talking brochure of yesteryear, uh, that there needs to be some level of value from insight and expertise that makes you want to engage with a salesperson, why you and I both believe that AI-generated salespeople aren't, aren't going to be the future, then this is an imperative. And, and certainly thinking about sales as something more than, well, I have all the, the smart functions at headquarters. We're designing our products and services. We're using big data. Uh, we've got strategic marketing. And then I just need sales to get the hell out there and sell it. You know, just pitch it. <laughs> just tell them how great it is. And of course, if you're going to be successful in the market, you're going to grow your sales function needs to do much more than that. Otherwise, you don't need them. Absolutely. What do you think plays the biggest role in that gap between what the leadership team, and I don't want to say C-suite because, I mean, I use C-suite as well, but yeah. small and mid-businesses don't always have kind of a C-suite, right? It might be one sure. person who's doing multiple functions. So 
just that leadership team. And if you're in a large organization, obviously the C-suite or the ELT mm -hmm. and, and sales. And I want to separate those leaders who are CEOs who grew up as salespeople, like sure. a Mark Benioff at Salesforce, right? Like they're, they're rare to begin with, right? They're rare to begin <laughs> with, right? You, you could look at like a Ginny Rometty kind of came up from sales. You can, you really see those leaders who grew up as salespeople have a very different approach. So put them aside for a second. When someone moved up the ranks into a leadership role and they don't really have a clear understanding of sales, what's driving that gap? Yeah, I, my take on this, I've got a little bit of research on it, is that their belief is that if we just build the widget or the mousetrap or the product, the service or the capability we're going to offer so that it's better than everybody else's, then that will be sufficient enough in the market. And then all I need is for sales to go out and tell people that. It doesn't work as well as it used to, and it's working less and less because as the pace of innovation quickens, as companies are able to leapfrog and copy you in a world where commoditized products look more and more the same, if not very similar in the eyes of customers when they evaluate competing alternatives, you have to have some other way to differentiate in the market. And if you, if you think it's just going to be on products or services or capabilities alone, and don't look to your sales team for that, you're going to limit your growth. It's a huge governor on growth. But that sales experience, based on the research you look at, somewhere between 25 and 53% of customer decision criteria is based on that, the interaction they have with an organization's salespeople. As they have, particularly as they evaluate their options, consider their alternatives, that part of the equation, again, why you and I both know that AI salespeople aren't going to be the future, uh, that part of the equation is missed by most of the executives and leaders in organizations who don't think beyond, I'm going to win because what I offer is the best thing. They don't think far enough to how we offer it, how we sell it will make a difference. You think part of it is, you know, I can only go back to my selling career was, you know, if it's a small deal, transactional deal, you know, let's call it it, whether it's a dollar or, you know, the size of the customer, maybe my sales team is involved exclusively, let's say. Mm -hmm. But if it was a marquee fortune 50 company or a very strategic customer or a certain dollar figure, it was like, you know, the fourth grade soccer game, right? Where all the executives run to the soccer ball, which right. is that RFP, right? Or that quote or that executive meeting, like they're all hands on deck, right? right? And so could it be that when they get involved, they only get involved in those strategic deals. So they see a very different sales cycle than what they might see in the volume long tail, unless you're only selling, you know, like 20 large deals a year. There's always the caveats in what we're talking about, but right. it's just in the main, right? We sell a thousand to a thousand customers a year. Five of them are strategic. The CEO leadership team knows everything about those five, knows nothing about the long tail. Now right. the five pay the bills, right? And, and have the majority of revenue, but the long tail is what gives you scale and all this value. So you think part of it is they don't get involved unless it's a certain size deal too? I think that's definitely a part of it. And there's an, oh, by the way, all the others outside of those five, well, those are your next five that could be your marquee customers. So the key is not just their involvement in sales cycles, which is a, a, an important element 
of being an executive sponsor and working strategically with sales, but rather how are they guiding and directing sales leadership and frontline sales on how you are responsible for driving our strategy with customers, right kinds of customers, right level in those customers, proper kinds of conversations that are valuable and point to our services that we've invested a lot in or our products that we've invested a lot in. Their lack of connection on those kinds of topics, that kind of involvement is uh, legend. Actually, there's some research in the, in the book. It says 86% of executives are barely involved with their sales teams, B- barely. And, and, and like a third of them intentionally hands off, like, get me away from them. I don't want to be anywhere near. That's just shocking to me, right? It's like, it's the revenue engine of the business. Yeah. I mean, no revenue, no business, no revenue, no investments. Yeah. And this, this is where that sales stigma, particularly in the mind of leaders who are running companies, gets in their way because there isn't a leader out there who wouldn't say sales is important or sales is valuable, but they don't view it as strategic. And that is the miss. Yeah. And I think that's where you absolutely have an opportunity for those of you listening who aren't sellers. I always used to say, if I were speaking in front of a room of marketers and the, you know, the age old debate between sales and marketing, who drives growth, who drives revenue? I'm always like, until marketing carries a quota, I don't know. I'd yeah. say sellers, <laughs> but I bleed sales blood. So I'm biased, totally yeah. biased. Like I don't need, you know, hate mail on for uh-huh. all the marketers that are listening, but I would say marketers, when was the last time you went on a sales call? Like, yeah, I don't mean going as a marketer and being like, isn't my PowerPoint pretty? And isn't my leave behind pretty? I mean, literally going and faking it and saying, I'm a new hire salesperson. I'm shadowing, you know, I'm shadowing, uh, uh, you know, Tiffany on this particular call so I can learn. Then you hear, do people even look at your PowerPoints or look at your leave behinds? Or is everything you've worked on, on how you spend all this time, is it really valuable to the customer at that moment when a seller's in front of it? in front of that person, right? So I think part of it is very undercover boss, like go be a salesperson, be in the call center, go on a call. But I think it also requires a leader who is open and willing to try it, right? I think they have to. There's a a story in the book about the president of Pete's Coffee who was getting tons and tons of data about why uh, a handful of their stores on college campuses weren't successful or why they weren't producing results. And uh, it was, as you would expect from marketing, lots of data, lots of charts, lots of analysis. And he asked the question, what happened on the call? What did the managers say? What did the customers in stores say? Silence, blank, blank stares. Well, nobody had been. So he, he's, of course, from sales. He's one of those rare company executives that came up through sales, goes to the stores. And in a couple of days, he's, he finds out, he's like, young kids don't like dark roast. That's our specialty. We're going to make a change. So little things like actually being involved with customers, talking with them, having conversations about what they value and what's important to them. These things are, there's no substitute. No. So let me pivot a little bit because I think you and I could really go on for hours about this conversation, but I want to make sure we get to the growth leader Sure. that beyond just, you know, the act of selling and the role of selling. Um, we've, we've got 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, we're now in 2024, 
And it's just people are tired, exhausted, yeah. burnt out. It's just a lot coming at us. And some organizations are letting go salespeople. Some are finding it hard to find growth opportunities. You know, you've advised a lot of leaders on what's the best way to really work through these varying economic conditions and challenges. What, what's the one or two things that you, when you sit down with somebody for the first time and you're trying to uncover, look, it's getting harder to grow yeah. and sustain it. What, what are you, what, how are you peeling that back? Yeah, well, I, the premise in the growth leader is that growth is a leadership issue, not a sales issue. Right? This is the, the, the thread through the en, en, entire body of work. And that's important because if you're a commercial enterprise and you rely on salespeople for a portion of your revenue, uh, then sales and leadership are inextricably linked. And some of the things that you and I have been talking about so far demonstrate the canyon, chasm between these two bodies of, of uh, employees in a company, right? From the executive team and senior managers uh, to sales management and leaders. So a recognition that since 2020, we've been in survival mode, right? And, you know, from the pandemic to labor issues, and then we get supply chain and, and, um, and interest rates, recession, depending on how deep it cut, global uncertainty. And it's not like the world is going to throw less at us in 2024. So I think it's important for leaders to recognize it doesn't require a lot of leadership to maintain the status quo. If, if you want to grow your organization, if you want your organization to thrive, that means growth. And if you are a leader, then that means paying a little more attention to how you compete in the market, not just in what you provide, but how you provide it, not what you sell, how you sell it. And you can differentiate on that. And if you're a smart leader, who's going to be a growth leader, you're going to get close to that topic and figure out how do I lead my sales organization from the executive suite or from senior management or even mid-management, depending on where you sit, what's my role in that? Because growth is a leadership issue, not a sales issue. And if you're disappointed in what you're getting from your sales organization, I'd say look in the mirror because they're behaving in ways that you are managing them to behave and the ways that you are leading them to behave. So that's the the, the, the premise of the, the point of view about what do we need to start doing differently? And I would hope that in that, that growth is, you know, the obvious is sales. But I think if you're going to be a growth leader, it's way more than that, right? It's not, I mean, you have to pay attention to sales as we talked about for the you know, first half of this conversation. Right. But beyond sales, you have to inspire your product developers, your marketers, your finance and legal, your customer service and support. Like anything in the business needs to understand their role in growth, how what they do every day plays a role in that dollar coming in the door. Absolutely. You're, you're on to the heart of the matter, which to me is how do you inspire and engage your teams so that they are thinking about at all levels of the organization, how do we create value for the customer? What's our part of that? What's our part of the equation? And what's our part of why they would write us the check, right? Why they would Well, you talk us. about something called magnets and milestones. I'm guessing that has something to do with this as well, right? If you're going to become an inspirational leader and yeah, how, how can leaders deploy that? So maybe you can talk through magnets and milestones. Right. Uh, leaders have too much to do in organizations. No, I'll, I know I'll get no disagreement from anybody uh, listening to that. The question is, what do we do about that? So uh, we have no shortage of management models and sophisticated management practices. I see organizations drown in those. 
So magnets and milestones is a metaphorical model that says, if you want to achieve your growth objectives, have a few of them. We'll call those the magnets. And these are well-defined strategic initiatives, projects, whatever they are, but they're clear enough so that uniquely everybody understands what they are. You know, we've all been to those meetings where you have a, a bullet point list on flip charts, right? And then you come out three days later, you read those and you're like, what the hell were we saying in that? that these are not magnets. They are the antithesis of magnets. So magnets are well-crafted strategic initiatives that are clearly defined. Everybody sees what success looks like. And then of course, milestones, what's the progress along the way? Not the list of tasks, not the hundred level work streams of things that need to be done, but the critical milestones that let us all know we're on the same page and I can inspire and motivate teams to move toward them. It's a process for managing and leading for results, not managing tasks. Amen. Like I think I will just speak about myself. Like when I was an individual contributor and many people know this story that listened to my podcast, but you know, as a, as a seller and then a high performing seller, the natural progression is, well, then you get moved to sales management and, oh, you know, cause you're a really good seller and you know, you push the teams very hard, you, yeah. you achieve goals and you keep moving up and up and up. Right. But along the way, no one's ever taught, no one taught me how to do what you just said. Like right. don't manage tasks, manage the outcomes, like, you know, really figuring out the strategy versus the execution, like giving some space for people to be successful. And I think yeah. a lot of this, which is why I started doing this podcast, was I, I wish that there had been places in a 20 minute, 25 minutes burst. I could hear something on a topic and could go, that's so great. I'm going to apply that. Maybe not today, but maybe in my next promotion or I'm going to look at this differently. And I think sure. this is one of those topics, right? Can you get your strategy on one page? Like in Hallelujah. my two lives ago, right, as a research fellow at Gartner, there was a whole track for executives on strategy on a page. And I think Gartner's been talking about it now for like 20 years. Like it's a whole, like, how do you do it? How do you manage it? How it is an, it is an art and a science. And mm -hmm. so motivating and inspiring people can't just be from a PowerPoint and then managing them to tasks. Yeah. I, I think you said it won't come from a PowerPoint. I often joke with my clients, uh, and I've said it um, when I've spoken to audiences, no one was ever inspired by an email either. So no. none of this will happen in email. Get off of the email. You got to connect with people. One of the methods that um, I, I write about in the book, when it comes to inspiring, I did a lot of research on this for my first book, The Inspiring Leader, and the ability to make an emotional connection with others, you know, like human to human is critical. I was put a caveat here. I'm like, when I say emotional connection, I'm not talking about being wildly emotional or excessive displays of emotionality. I'm talking about connecting as fellow human beings here who have a wide range of emotions from excitement to frustration to disappointment and you know a, a desire to learn. And you got to connect on those things if you want to bring out the best in people. And that's what it's going to take. Sometimes all those emotions can happen in one meeting in a half hour. <laughs> They sure do for me. I got to keep it a little more contained as a management consultant, but in my employee days, for sure. <laughs> yes, I agree. I totally, <laughs> totally agree. Will you talk about something called um, graceful growth? Talk to me about yeah. that because I have to say, I love that. I will borrow it, Scott. I will give you credit, but I love oh. that. Graceful growth. Love it. So I'm glad that was a working title for the book, but it started to have a little too much spiritual connotation, but it comes from a client story that's connected to 
what I had started talking about when we were discussing magnets and milestones. You know, there's too much to do. It's crazy. So I have this client who is in the valet parking industry, you know, 400 locations around the country. And he said, look, it's just, it's crazy. I know we can get the numbers, but it's blood, it's sweat, it's snot, tears. The snot killed me. You know, it's like, but he's talking about how miserable the experience had been. We had talked about putting together a graceful growth strategy, meaning if it's graceful, then people know what they're doing. They're coordinated. There's a strength in that. It's supported by the right systems, the right processes. People have a sense for their role. There's not too much to do. There's not too little to do. It's sort of Goldilocks, just right. So if you can imagine an organization that runs in kind of chaos, you know, the valet parking world is a, a a chaotic world. But when people know what they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to be, uh, the systems support that, the technology supports it. Well, then you can move with a level of grace that's at least a little more like the duck above the surface, even if you're paddling like crazy underneath. So that's the, 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 the metaphor going along with that to say, look, if you're going to grow with some level of grace here, where it's not just crazy and frenetic, you have to have the systems. You have to have the magnets and the milestones. You've got to lead in an inspiring way, and you've got to drive the right kind of connections with your sales team or it'll all fall apart. Yeah, and I, I just couldn't agree more. And I, like I said, it's like I love that, and I totally get why uh, they would say it would have a little too much uh, connotation different from what yeah. the book ended up being. Uh, I faced the same thing with my first book, uh, and yeah, it, it, and even the cover art, you know, like what is it going to look mm -hmm. like? All the things mm -hmm. that go into that for another day. Sure. But this has been fantastic. So much to unpack, so much great content, so much great insights. But let's wrap this up with what are the first sort of steps, one or two, that business leaders, even individual contributors who aspire to be business leaders at some point could take to start applying, you know, whether it's magnets and milestones, whether it's being a little more graceful around growth, whether it's spending time with salespeople, you know, whatever it might be, wh where do I start? Monday morning, I've listened to yeah. this on a, on a Thursday. <laughs> I took notes. Monday morning, what do I do different? Yeah, well, I think the, the first thing you want to do, think, to do is think differently about why are you winning? Why are you winning in the marketplace and how much of that is connected to the sales experience? My assumption on that is going to be that it is much more than you think it is if you look closely. And the second part of that is to ask yourself the question, what are we doing to design and deliver a valuable and compelling experience, a sales experience that our customers might be willing to pay a premium for, right? I, I often say that the sales experience is the first mile of the customer experience highway. You know, everybody talks about CX, it's got its own acronym and everything. But if the sales experience isn't a good one, they'll get off at exit one, they'll have a customer experience elsewhere. So think about that. What are you doing to design and deliver a valuable and compelling sales experience? And then secondly, take a look at your counterproductive beliefs about what is successful in sales. Is it charisma? Is it people who are hungry, fire in the belly, people who are really pushy? Because if you're managing to that, if you're hiring to that, if you are uh, promoting that in any kind of way, it's probably working against you on point number one there. So if you start with those two things and then you add to that, the last one, what are you doing every day to inspire and motivate your team? Not just direct, not just tell them what to do in an email, but how are you connecting with them? Those three things will make a huge difference. What a great action item Monday morning to-do list. 
So thank you, Scott, for spending time with us today on the What's Next podcast. Thanks for having um, me, Tiffany. Yeah, let's 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 make sure everybody knows how to keep in touch with you, follow your work. Where can they besides picking up a copy of Growth Leader? Besides yeah. that, which at airports near you as well. Yeah, as, as you're as you're traveling, you should be able to see it in most airports. So how can they keep in touch? Yeah, I I try to make it easy to be found. So it's just my name on the internet, scottedinger.com. So you can find me. I, I try to make a living being easy to find that way. And then I hang out on LinkedIn a little bit too. So if you just search Scott Edinger, you'll find me there. I use the, the middle initial K on, on LinkedIn also, Scott K. Edinger. And um, there and anywhere books are sold, as they say. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. I hope you found this conversation with Scott about how to become a growth leader valuable, not only today, but as you further your career. My name's Tiffany Bova, the host of this podcast, What's Next? Please don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, everybody.